everybody. You are listening to the Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. Alex Ivich Potters back again. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Follow our social media pages at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast. And our podcasts are available right here on YouTube. Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Play. So today, me and Rohan Sagani had a little switcheroo when it came to plans. He and I on occasion will be doing film collaborations based on a certain subject. Obviously during the season that will happen as well. I have posted that video on YouTube. That film selection was based on Darius Slayton's touchdown against the Detroit Lions Week 8 2019. And I won't be bringing him on the show today because I didn't really think that there was much need. But I have brought him onto my Bleeding Big Blue team just to teach me a little bit and show me a little bit on film and analytics. Just to get me into that, I know I will be getting into that. I watched a couple of uh, clips from the Lions game earlier to kind of get a background to that drive. Now anyway, today we have two topics that I'm going to talk about. The offensive tackle position, left tackle and right tackle. And is Dave Gettleman's job secure pending 2020 going into 2021 after this season? Now, we had Vince Rapisardi of Big Blue Unbiased on Monday to see what he had to say on analytics based on Giants football. Though we had some differences, but those being, I would not sign Tavon Wilson, Cam Wake, Darren Lee, and Paul Richardson, and I also would not trade for Chris Conley. He said Nate Solder is an average offensive tackle because Daniel Jones fumbled after 2.5 to 3.5 seconds of holding the football. As I mentioned in the video, I'm going to go briefly here why I would disagree with all those. First one, I'm going to go with uh, trading for Chris Conley. Now, Daniel Jones' development is key in advancing going for Big Blue this year. He needs to throw to good receivers, and he needs to get trust from those receivers. Now, he doesn't need to throw to great receivers, but he needs to throw to decent ones so he knows what the future could be like. I like the point that Bobby Skinner brought up when he was on here. He said that in camp, you should have Benjamin Victor... Austin Mack and Derek Dillon, all the UDFAs, the three main UDFAs, line up with the ones and see who Daniel Jones trusts. I think that's a good idea. I just don't think that they would do it. I don't think they're going to put the center around those three wide receivers in specifics. They did not draft a wide receiver. They did sign a lot of UDFAs, though. And now we know that in this offense, Joe Judge said it yesterday, that it's going to be like Jason Garrett's offense in Dallas. So we're going to need a big body receiver that goes up and gets the ball, much like Amari Cooper. But in my opinion, you trust one of those undrafted free agents. You don't go after a depth piece just to go after a depth piece, in my opinion. You don't trade draft capital in the middle of a rebuild when you need those picks and you need players that will be a part of your future. You don't, in my opinion, trade for Chris Conley. You wait till he's a free agent or something. Now... Going back to the free agent standpoint he had, and I disagreed with this one too, and we agreed to disagree. Uh, Cam Wake has a veteran presence. Wake is also 38 years old. Now, Fackrell's a veteran presence. If they get Golden back, he's a veteran presence as well. Now, putting Wake, he's 38, as I mentioned, in the backup role is kind of silly. I mean, he has an iconic past as a pass rusher, but it would be silly to not put him in a win-now situation when we're not in a win-now situation, and he's going to be back up, and we need more playing time for these outside linebackers and defensive ends like B.J. Hill, uh, Lorenzo Carter, O'Shane Zimenez, and maybe one of those outside linebackers that comes out of the preseason and makes the roster like Dominic Ross or a draft pick like Cam Brown. Tavon Wilson, yeah, he had familiarity when he was in New England, but he's not going to start at free safety or strong safety. you got Jabril Peppers there. You're going to be rotating Love and McKinney, 
Love will probably be out deep and McKinney will be in the box. So that way you're going to have mostly two, three safeties on the field at once. More DBs in Graham's system. Why would you sign Tavon Wilson just to be a veteran presence when you already signed Nate Ebner, who's not going to be playing on the field, he'll be playing on special teams. But why would you sign Tavon Wilson and waste the extra money rather than sticking to the veteran presence you already do have on the team and the safety position's already bottled up. You got Ebner, you got McKinney, you have Love and Jabril Peppers. So basically the safety position is found out already. You just need depth in the back of it. And I don't think Tavon Wilson's a depth piece. He won't accept that role in my opinion. He wants to be a starter still. I think he's 30 right now. But I just don't think that they should go after him. Next one, Paul Richardson. He's a good depth piece. He has injury issues though. And if we're talking about possibly getting a number one four wide receiver and our other receivers go down, is it really trusting that we put him in that spot knowing his injury history? Is it really, you know, you want to take that chance? I wouldn't because of his injury history. Yeah, he might be 28 years old, but you're also taking the risk of him getting injured again. And the Giants don't want a wasted signing like Brandon Marshall, even though he's not even compared to Brandon Marshall. Last but not least, he mentioned Darren Lee. The Giants are trying to build a culture, but this guy did have a PED problem with the Jets. I know it was once, but Joe Judge is trying to build a culture. He is 25 and played good two years ago as a pass coverage linebacker with the Jets. Meanwhile, that was two years ago, and he didn't do that well with Kansas City in 2019. This is not his words, but someone else said the Giants signed Justin Britt. My opposition to that is... You have Spencer Pulley on the roster. Yes, he did horrible coming in for John Halapio last year, and the Giants need to protect the franchise quarterback. But you're not going anywhere this season, but Britt signing him would seem silly because for someone who could start for a plug-in center team like the Lions, unless you put Jonah Jackson or Logan Stenberg at center, it just seems silly. It seems silly to plug him in for the Giants and wasting that extra money unless you compete him, but again, it's silly. Spencer Pulley's already on the roster. You plug him in. First 10 weeks, first 12 weeks, he could start. And then you plug in Nick Gates or Shane Lemieux. My opinion with all these five guys here is that in a winning situation, you can afford to do that. Not in a rebuild when they're slightly older. Darren Lee kind of makes the most sense. But again, PED history. Uh, Paul Richardson, injury history. He's 28. Tavon Wilson, he's older. He's not going to fit in at the safety position. Maybe compete, but he's not going to fit in at the safety position. And then you have Cam Wake. Why would he be solidified as a backup when he could still get pressure on the quarterback? You need more playing time for these defensive ends and outside linebackers. It just doesn't make sense, in my opinion. I'm not attacking anybody who has that view. I'm just saying that's not really fit in my mind. Now, on the solder aspect, finally, and actually Jones' aspect after that, it's not just him, and I disagree with him, and I also disagree with actual analytical people like the PFF guys, you know, the certified companies, who don't encounter game sensitivity in the numbers. The numbers won't tell you that Nate Solder gave up a sack to Vinnie Curry and blew a flea flicker for Saquon and Eli on Monday Night Football, and they didn't score in the second half. The analytics won't tell you that. Film will. The numbers won't tell you that Solder gave up two QB hits and a strip sack against Arizona in the last drive when the Giants were trying to come back and trying to win. Won't tell you that Dorrance Armstrong strip sacked Daniel Jones and Jordan Lewis took it back for a touchdown on a drive that they could have scored on or at least a touchdown and try to get the onside kick. That is why I disagree with using analytics as heavy as everyone else does because game sensitivity is not seen by the naked eye. You have to watch film. You have to do that stuff. What analytics doesn't see, and we, they should make a stat. 
they should make a stat even though it would make much sense how many points or how many epa points that nate solder cost this team in 2019 it was a huge it was a huge detriment it was a huge detriment uh shaquille barrett had advantages on him he got at least three four sacks that game something like that and you know he ended up getting like 19 20 sacks this year uh trey flowers that's another person got two sacks on daniel jones even caused a strip fumble strip sack whatever you want to call it so you can't just point to the analytics in my opinion you have to factor game sensitivity you have to factor in the other stuff. Solder is also earning big money on a $62 million contract lasting four years. Going to Daniel Jones. A dummy could have said that Jones has a turnover issue. We know this. He said today that he's trying to work at it and trying to fix that problem. But analytics and technical people can't really say that it's just Jones's issue. They can't say that. A lot of people do. And that's why, oh, let's draft Tua with four because PFF said so. No, that's not happening. And, oh, let's draft Trevor Lawrence next year because Daniel Jones has apparently already failed us as a franchise quarterback. He fumbled. He fumbled a lot. He led the league in fumbles. Yes, we get that. Yes, we get he's a rookie too. This is not Josh Rosen, and then you're going to select Kyler Murray the next year. That's not happening. That's not what's going to happen. I think Dave Gettleman has better control. But my point being that Jones is going to have rookie issues. He did last year. He definitely went through a lot. But you can't just say, oh, we're going to substitute him the next year because he's not a franchise QB. No franchise QB wins a Super Bowl in their first year. And if that happens, it's a small percentage. Small percentage that that would happen. But then we go back to the solder point again. Game sensitivity factors in. And if you look at 2017, Ben McAdoo blamed Eli for the poor offensive line play. He fumbled and he threw picks. McAdoo was no analytical guy. He just blamed Eli for most of the problems because he was the leader and that was the center of the team right there, Eli Manning. He fumbled and threw picks because the offensive line had constant pressure in his face. And let's go over that again. McAdoo was not an analytical guru, but Jones and Manning are fragile quarterbacks. Jones was fragile this year because he's supposed to be the face of the franchise for the next 10-15 years. Eli was fragile at that time because he couldn't run, he was immobile his whole career, and he was getting into his 30s, his late 30s, that the Giants ruined because they couldn't find an offensive line to suit him. So that's my view on that in analytics and fumbling the football with Daniel Jones and Nate Solder. That's my view on those takes. Now we move to the tackle position evaluation and possible predictions. Here are the candidates to make offensive tackle for next year, whether it be left or right tackle. Nate Solder, Nate Wozniak, Cam Fleming, Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, Tyler Haycraft, and Eric Smith. Wozniak was a practice squad signing, so he's unlikely staying this year unless he gets signed back to the practice squad if he's eligible. Eric Smith filled in last year for Solder at left tackle, didn't do really good of a job, was more of a backup tackle. I don't see him staying. Now we're down to the top three guys, most likely, but there's also Gates to factor in. There's also Haycraft to factor in. He's an undrafted free agent, could be an iron horse, could be a practice squad signing, depending on how he does in camp in the preseason. Fleming is a swing tackle right now, but Solder is a better option because he started more games, he has more experience. However, as I said, he gave up 11 sacks and 57 pressures in 2019. The new staff does need to see improvement in his play. Yes, I get it, Solder is 32 years old, but Colombo is one of the best O-line coaches in this league. 
But right now, I don't see room for excuse. You're trying to protect a franchise quarterback, and you're going to be giving up sacks another year. Joe Judge won't take it, and that's why he would probably push for Andrew Thomas, Nick Gates, or Cameron Fleming to start at left tackle. But we don't know that till the season actually starts because they get limited reps in the preseason. You won't see that in camps. You won't see live tackling. You won't see live pressures, really. And really, this is Solder's last shot to be a starting offensive tackle for the New York Giants. If he's not improved... Then they cut him, they bench him, they do something. Because you can't keep dead weight on the roster. Cameron Fleming is veteran experience. And Solder has more veteran experience. But what's the point in keeping dead weight? Another situation. Thomas is pro ready. And if the coaching staff thinks he's ready, Judge will push for him to start at left tackle. All rookie offensive tackles struggle in their first year. Quentin Nelson was a guard. That's why he played exceptionally well and still does to this day. That's proven meaning the offensive tackle thing. He won't be perfect, but let's see who starts at right tackle and who could be eligible. Solder did play some games at right tackle before becoming a starter left tackle with the New England Patriots. So I think he would get the edge in most situations rather than the veteran Cameron Fleming. Also a chance that Nick Gates could start at right tackle, and I would love to see him beat Solder to be honest. Though it's a great thing to have an iron horse versatile lineman sitting on the bench ready to play whenever, he is starting talent and could provide better protection for Daniel Jones. Now there is a tiny percentage that this circumstance also happens. Solder could be benched, Fleming starts, and so does Thomas. But again, Solder is more solid as a tackle even though he struggled last year and has more experience. Now here's the way the Giants should go in my opinion. If Andrew Thomas is pro-ready, and the Giants feel it, put him at left tackle, put Solder at right tackle. Again, rookies will struggle. We saw that with some of the best linemen out there. Eric Fisher, he's an okay tackle for the Chiefs. Mitchell Schwartz, he struggled in it mightily in his first year. He's now one of the best right tackles in the game. He's going to struggle, meaning Andrew Thomas. But if the Giants feel ready with him, you'll put him at left tackle, and Solder will be at right tackle. If he's ready but some coaches don't see all the confidence, start him at right tackle and have him make a midseason transition. That's how I feel. For the final topic today, I'm going to bring up Dave Gettleman. Is his job secure or is it not? Not necessarily in my opinion, here's why. When he drafted a ton of rookies in 2019, they all had their moments, but the secondary was by far the worst position on the field and that was clear to the naked eye. Bethea was a horrible free agent signing among others who could not cover the deep ball and Betcher kept putting him there and pissed off fans by doing that as well. Baker, Beal, Haley, and Ballantyne struggled tremendously. Beal, Ballantyne, and Haley especially because they kept being put in the slot and Betcher put circles and squares. They did not fit in the slot and they didn't seem to fix that problem then. They just kept shoving and shoving. It was a lack of corner depth and they didn't have a true slot or nickel back corner. Darnay Holmes is the fourth round pick out of UCLA this year. Can be that slot cornerback. Can be that nickel cornerback. So you don't have misfits. But anyway, the Maras and Tish family and the fans will need to be feeling better about this offense going into 2021. Look back at 2019. Golden Tate was suspended for the first couple games. Evan Ingram was sidelined a lot with a lot of injuries. Slayton was out for the first two games. Sterling Shepard had multiple concussions. And Barkley was hurt and struggled to return to his form before he ran off with the last three games of 2019. Even though the Giants didn't win the last game of 2019, they had 
a lot of rushing yards thanks to Barkley. There needs to be better hype from this offense, and you will need to see progression from this young offensive line. You'll need to see Will Hernandez take a step forwards in 2020. He took a step back in 2019. Solder and Jalapio did that as well. The offensive line affects other play of other linemen. If Jalapio does bad, Solder does bad, Hernandez does bad. That's just how it goes. It's like a chain reaction. It's also like a domino effect. You need to limit the injuries and the drops and, the, and have some depth at wide receiver. Your QB needs help and he needs to step up the play. That's one thing. You need to feel better about this offense. You need playmakers on the offensive side. You also need a guy that needs to go up and get the ball to fit Jason Garrett's offense. And if that doesn't work, they don't get a big body receiver that can go up and get it. Slayton is the only guy right now that can do that other than any undrafted free agent that we know of like Benjamin Victor or Austin Mack, you know, a guy that could go up and get it, Rice and John out of Simon Fraser at Canadian College, he's another guy that could go up and get it, but we'll see who makes the roster. If the Giants don't have a big-bodied go-up-and-get-it receiver, they will have to find shortcuts through this offense, and it might deteriorate the offensive play. Now going to defense. Bradbury signed in March, as well as Martinez. Bradbury cannot look like B.W. Webb, and Blake Martinez cannot look like Ogletree. These have to look like good signings. They have to make plays. The defense only got so many interceptions last year. I think it was like 8 or something around 10, which was one of the last in the league. These signings need to be legit. They need to help out the defense in a veteran playmaking way. Xavier McKinney needs to have an immediate impact. It needs to be used correctly. Or that falls on Patrick Graham, Joe Judge, and Dave Gettleman. Baker, Valentine, Haley, Connolly coming back from an injury, and Beal need to make improvements to their play. Lorenzo Carter and B.J. Hill, two Gettleman third-round picks of 2018. Those guys need to step it up. They need to take a huge step forward because we saw Carter's play in his rookie year. We're like, okay, he's going to get 10, 12 sacks the next year. No, that didn't happen. He only got half a sack more. He got more playing time, didn't do much. And B.J. Hill got a little more playing time until Leonard Williams was acquired. He only got one sack compared to his five-and-a-half sack rookie season. And you, people say, oh, look at the numbers. B.J. Hill didn't regress. Yes, he did. Because one thing I'll credit Betcher with, you know, B.J. Hill didn't make as many plays as Leonard Williams did. Leonard Williams rushed the QB. He had QB hurries. He had QB hits. He had pressures. B.J. Hill didn't do that. He didn't stop the run as much. And Betcher realized that and said, you know what? You know, we got to take you out. We got to prioritize Leonard Williams because he was acquired and he's going to be one of the huge playmakers in the future. So to count it all out, in essence, in my opinion, you need to be ready in 2021. You face a lot of competition in the AFC West. You got Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. You got the Raiders. See what they look like. They had a lot of good free agent signings this year. Obviously, this is depending on the 2020 season and what the 2021 schedule will look like because of the Giants record and what the AFC West does. You're facing them no matter what, no matter what happens. You're also facing the NFC South in 2021. Bradbury played there many years. You're going to face the Buccaneers actually five years in a row, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, and you'll be facing them in 2021. A lot of good receivers in that division don't count them out. Those teams, whether you like it or not, constantly battle for that first place spot in the NFC South. They have a lot of good receivers, a lot of good offenses. The Giants will need to contain that in 2021, but we have to look at 2021 and see an improvement in order to predict what will happen in 2021. You also need to see progress out of Joe Judge. 
you have to have at least more than four wins because you have the roster that can get more than four wins. Between five and eight wins this season would be an improvement over last season. And you have to make adjustments at halftime. That's a lot of reasons why the Giants had leads and then they blew it. The Bears being one, Eagles being another. Now let's say Dave Gettleman is fired. There's no real reason to bring in a GM who wipes Gettleman's work off the canvas and wants his own players. That's another rebuild that Giants fans have to sit through, wiping away talent to get talent for the further, further, further future, causing outrage and misery. Nobody wants that. And let's review something else before we wrap this episode up. For all the people who miss OBJ and are crying, please stop crying. Stop. It's been a year since he's been traded. And Giants fans are like, oh my god, OBJ, this wide receiver thing wouldn't have happened if we had OBJ. No, because if OBJ stayed here longer, he would have had a bad impact on all the rookies coming in, whether you like it or not. He would have been trashing the locker room. He would have been going on interviews with Josina Anderson and Lil Wayne, trashing Daniel Jones. Stuff would have hit the fan. And then... And that will split you as a fan base as it does right now. Some people, most people, are into the value that we got in that trade. We got Jabril Peppers. We got Dexter Lawrence, which was through a draft pick. And we got Oshin Zimenez through a draft pick. Both of those rookies show a lot of promise. Four and a half sacks in his first year, Oshin Zimenez. Played limited time. Now, I'm not saying that we have to hype him like we did Lorenzo Carter, but he's going to get more playing time this year. He definitely showed a lot of speed, a lot of tackling, a lot of... QB pressures, and you got Dexter Lawrence, who's just an interior force up the middle that the Giants need. They're filled at defensive tackle. But going back to the OBJ situation, he would have caused bedlam in the locker room, and Shermer did not like him because of the antics he pulled before the Carolina game, as I'm going back to. At an interview with Lil Wayne and uh, Josina Anderson from ESPN, he trashed Eli, and everybody criticized him for that. But then you had the other morons saying, Oh, well, Eli should throw the ball down the field more. Well, that time, the protection wasn't good, but it wasn't as worse as it was the beginning of the season. It wasn't the Cowboys game. It wasn't the Texans game because the protection was on and off, on and off. You had to keep making switches to try to improve the protection for Eli, and it kept failing and failing and failing and failing. And that wasn't through draft picks. Hernandez did have his struggles in 2018. That wasn't through draft picks. Those were, oh, let's sign this guy. Let's sign that guy. Patrick Omame failed. Spencer Pulley failed, but he's still on the roster. Nate Solder failed us right now. He's still on the roster. Uh, Let's see who else failed us. Chad Wheeler was never a real good option at right tackle, but we had to put him in over Eric Flowers. Jamon Brown was under average, but he was okay. But then he signed with the, the Falcons, and we acquired... Kevin Zeitler, which immediately upgraded the right guard position. That is probably the position that was most upgraded in 2019, the right guard position. And a lot of people underappreciate Kevin Zeitler because he doesn't make Pro Bowls. He has constant stats that say he's a good right guard and he's an above average. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he's a good right guard. He's something that you could put him in right guard and you can rely on him. Now, you could look at Pro Bowls and say, oh, he doesn't have any Pro Bowls. Well, the Pro Bowls are popularity contests. Just because he's not known doesn't mean he's not a good player. We saw that with Snacks Harrison three years with the Giants, one year with the Jets, that he could have been a Pro Bowler. What happened? They didn't pick him, and he knew he kept getting snubbed from those Pro Bowls. He got snubbed from those Pro Bowls because people just didn't like him, and that's why he didn't go to the Pro Bowls, because it's a popularity contest. People need to stop relying on Pro Bowls. 
All-star games are different for baseball. The Pro Bowl is a circus, and it's a popularity contest. And real quickly, let's go back to that Jones Solder Manning conversation. You had Eli Manning, who constantly threw check down after check down because he didn't have the protection and he didn't feel it, and he was getting worried that he was going to get hit. Now you have a quarterback who's waiting for a guy downfield, and your left tackle ultimately pushes a defensive end into him, and he fumbles the football, and you ultimately say, no, it's Jones' fault, it's after three and a half seconds. That's what the analytic people will tell you, and that's why I think they're wrong that's my opinion because you now you have a guy who wants to throw downfield to Slayton to Tate to Shepard mind you they might not get a lot of separation he's looking for those guys downfield to get the bigger play to get the offense going but no you're gonna have PFF and all these big analytical companies and maybe analytical people too say nope Daniel Jones is fumbling the football replace him he goes downfield he fumbles and Nate Solder's an average tackle, they can't get it right. No, the problem is that, yes, Jones fumbles a lot. We get that. He's fixing it. Did we hear anything about Nate Solder fixing his left tackle issues? Now, I get it. His son has cancer or a tumor, something like that. I wish nothing but the best for him. But, come on, when you're on the field, you have to perform like the contract that you were given. I'm not saying he's ever going to be at a pro level of $62 million worth four years. But come on already. Play average. You have to stop crashing the defensive end into the quarterback. That was the main reason for his fumbles. Not just because he was holding the ball maybe a split second longer on some plays. Some of his fumbles were not his fault. Some of his fumbles were not his fault. Yes, he may have held on to the ball a little longer than he should have on some plays. But you take a look at the Jets game. Saquon totally got beefed by Jamal Adams on two plays. One, Jamal Adams strip-sacked him. Saquon recovered it. One of the next plays, a couple drives in the future. What happened? Adams strip-sacked Daniel Jones. Barkley couldn't protect. And he ultimately took it back for the touchdown. That's why they won the game. Now, you could say, oh, well, what happened was... Uh, the defense gave up points. Yeah, we know that because after, I think it was the Tate or the Slayton touchdown, whatever touchdown that brought the Giants the lead again and the defense blew it. Right. The defense was stinking that day. But you you can't ignore that six sacks was given up by the offensive line. I'm pretty sure it was six. Henry Anderson got one. Jamal Adams definitely got a hand in there. Remember, Eric Smith he was playing left tackle for most of the game. Daniel Jones still put them into the game by throwing great passes. Saquon couldn't do anything with that offensive line because he only got one rushing yard. Daniel Jones kept them in that game. And the analytics people want to say, oh, fumbling his problem. Yeah, we know that, fumbling is his problem. But look at the positive plays that he has caused. He kept us into the Cardinals game. The defense was atrocious, allowed three touchdowns to an undrafted free agent out of friggin' Fordham, Chase Edmonds. And then you have eight sacks given up by your offensive line. You're still in the game. This is the positives that the analytics people have to look at and the negatives that they have to look at when it comes to the left tackle position. Nate Solder, again, as I'm going to mention it again, two QB hits, one strip sack on the final drive that could have gotten the Giants to win. Kyler Murray, he went out of the bounds on the previous drive. He could have went and stayed in bounds, which would have cost the Giants the game. Not ultimately, but him going down on the ground would have killed the clock till the two-minute warning. They kicked the field goal. They have less time. But no, he went out of bounds. They had more time. Nate Solder's like, you know what? Let's screw it up. 
Maybe he didn't do it intentionally, and I know he didn't do it intentionally, but the point is, you cannot ignore the game sensitivity and the points that Nate Solder caused for the Giants in 2019. You can't just sit there and have analytics there and say, oh, his uh, pass block win rate was at 87%. Yeah, it's the same as Tyron Smith. Yes, the Giants may have passed the ball more because you had Barkley hurt a lot, but the offensive line needs to live up to those expectations and pass block. Even if one day you go run 70% of the time you run the ball and 30% you pass the ball, you still have to run block 70% of the time and do a good job and pass block 30% of the time and do a good job at that too. Flip those around, even if you're passing 70% of the time in the Garrett offense or if you're running 30% of the time. The offense needs to comply and protect their running back, and they need to protect the quarterback. And I'm going to say this for the last time before we end our episode. Game sensitivity and film do not show with the numbers. You have to look at film, in my opinion, and you have to look at game sensitivity before you take a look at the numbers. That way you could see what actually happened. So that will wrap it up for our episode. Please be sure to check out the latest YouTube video on the film regarding Darius Slayton's touchdown against the Lions done by Rohan Salgani. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Content is posted every week on there, whether it be an episode or an actual video, like that film breakdown on that drive. Follow our social media pages at Bleeding Big Blue Podcast, most notably Twitter and Instagram. That's where you receive all the updates. And remember, our podcast episodes are available on Spotify, Podbean, YouTube, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. Dan Duggan of The Athletic is coming on Friday to talk some Giants and what he learned in the presser through Zoom, through Joe Judge and Dalvin Tomlinson, and all the guys that were in that Zoom call that the beat was invited to. Thank you guys for supporting us. And we will see you Friday. Take care and have a nice evening.